We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Gresh and Fourier on WEEI. Straight up here on WEI, the uh, lunchtime hour with Gresh Ed Foyer here with you on Boston and New England Sports Original WEI. Well, uh, we have questions. Let's get some answers. Joining us now on the Harbor One Hotline, I would dare say mm. Red Sox legend, <laughs> yeah. a, a guy who will be uh, heading to Florida to show that he still has it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he can sling it across the diamond as well. Our friend Lou Merloni here on the day that Raphael Devers got signed. Uh, Lou, good afternoon. What's up, boys? What a 24 hours. Sweet Jesus. Hey, Lou, can can we start with this on the whole Trevor Story thing? Yeah. Like, I need a little bit of a baseline from a former big leaguer. So we hear from Heim Bloom that Trevor Story in the ramp up for the season started to feel something new, da-da-da. Can you kind of walk us, lay people through how a baseball player starts to get ready in the offseason with a throwing program? And maybe more importantly, Lou, kind of when you start to get back to throwing to get yourself ready to go to spring training. Yeah, I would say the offseason, for the most part, is like four, six-week sessions. And it's you know it could be four, five, six weeks, but just on average, it's a better way to figure it out. Season ends in October. I think for about a month, five weeks or so, you are doing, if anything, light stuff, light workouts, just because you because you like working out or whatever. But for the most part, your body is healing. You just went through eight months. Your shoulder hurts, your elbow hurts, your ankle hurts, your knee, your back, your hammies, everything hurts. So you give it some time. You give it four to six, six weeks. And then I would say usually around mid-November, so you start getting back into the gym, you start trying to get strong again, and you're there till about New Year's. Now, at some point in Christmas, you know, that break, maybe you start hitting off the tee a little bit right before Christmas. You start throwing, playing catch. But really, it's January 1 for six more weeks because that's how long it is before spring training starts, which is six weeks. Um, that's when you do the baseball activity. That's when we're throwing, you know, we're throwing, you know, hard. We're throwing the bases. We're fielding ground balls. We're taking BP. Guys are throwing bullpens. So it's a six-week progress uh, process, rather, and at some point in that mid-December when he started playing catch and some guys might start lightly hitting off the tee and things, that's when he started to feel it. So you, these injuries come up when you start ramping it up. You try to rest your body. And, and the perfect example is Celtics fans, Robert Williams. We sat here at the end of September and a guy had surgery to, you know, on his knee and he missed 8 to 12 weeks. And we said, why did you wait to the end of September? Well, he started ramping it up to get ready for the season and that's when you feel it again. Okay, so that, that that goes to my whole take about the blame game. Was this preventable? Because if if your exit if you have your exit physical, aren't you especially with him kind of going, Okay, here's where we're at risk and let's think about how we should attack some potential future issues? You know, so how do you think they handled that? Yeah, I, I think and I heard you guys play in that Bradford piece too, um, 
you know, I think when you first get an injury before, you might know, like if your knee starts bothering, all of a sudden now it's like, okay, for the first time you start a rehab process and you're like, okay, I got to do more soft tissue. I got to do more strength. I got to do more loosening and, and stretching and massaging and things like that. And then he got through the season last year with his arm. It kind of felt like he was on the right path. And I'm sure it was something they were still keeping an eye on. Um, but as far as the player goes, it's like, okay, now that you got your full season, let's rest the elbow. You know, let's give it some time, do some of the exercises we've talked about, and then when you start throwing again, see how it feels. And that's kind of where we're at, where covering your ass comes into play is leaving yourself wide open with no depth in the middle of the infield or a shortstop, knowing that you've got a guy that asking him to play short, if that's the case, is asking a lot. You know, and that so that's that's really where you start wondering, like, how did they why didn't they revisit this Correa thing in the last week? You know, knowing that everything that was going on here, he'd be a perfect fit for six years, even if he had to go seven. Well, Lou, it feels like they were visiting Rafi Devers through all of this. Yeah. And and that's where, for me, like, I want to feel like the Red Sox really looked at Rafael Devers and said genuinely, this is a guy we want to keep around. And yet they get a deal done. He gets a $300-plus million contract and there is not the no-trade provision that normally comes with those that are given to big-time superstar players. And for me, I want to feel like this wasn't just a reaction to knowing that story needed to get cut on and that you missed out on Xander Bogarts. Because when I hear the agent for Raphael Devers say, yeah, we were on the phone pretty much the whole time on New Year's Eve, then you announce that Devers is coming back on January 4th, and we find out yesterday about Trevor Story. I don't want to put two and two together, but it feels like it equals four. Well, I, listen, I don't think that, you know, you said to say, okay, we got to try to wrap up Rafi Devers. Let's close down shop at every other position and let's not talk to anyone else. You know, it's like we need to get Rafi done. Let's not worry about our pitching staff, our shortstop, our outfield, our DH, our first, you know, like you you should be able to handle both. Like you, you talk to the player and you continue to look at depth in the middle of the infield because – They've had plenty of options. The versatility you have with Story, you're going to play short and second. So you could get a shortstop or a second baseman. The versatility you have with Kike Hernandez to find a center fielder, shortstop, or a second baseman. You have versatility in all these guys, and you didn't bring in one of them. Like You haven't brought in anyone mm. to, to just sort of help the depth. And now you're in a spot where now you need two or three bodies in the middle of the, in the, middle of the field. You know, Unless you think Jared Duran is a guy that you can help out there in center field. Lou, what was your reaction uh, during the uh, Rafael Devers um, press conference when Hyam Bloom uh, took the mic and gave a message to the fans? What was your reaction after hearing that? Very odd, uncomfortable discussion from him. You know, the whole uh, – you know, he started talking about ups and downs and how you're with yeah. us the whole way, and I felt like he didn't know how to end it, and he just sort of uncomfortably was like, well, you know, and, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it, w what's going to be awesome? <laughs> It's like, yeah, right? It's like, totally, dude. Yeah. Like, it's going to be awesome. It's like, <laughs> awesome. awesome is winning. You know, and I think, you know, if Story was healthy, it's like, this is a guy you were hoping to be healthy, play second base at an elite level, and add some power. It's like, now it's, you're going to be living in these, like, jerks and profar, uh, Jose Iglesias worlds, and, and trying to find some other guys that you can help in this lineup. But I, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to be awesome. Like, I don't. Like, I, you know, this year is – I don't know what to expect from this year. I think moving forward, you know, hopefully there's some, there's some room for improvement here in the following season, but a lot's got to go right health-wise for this team this year. Who protects Devers 
in the lineup, Lou. Like, even if you go out and get somebody, can you get enough of an impact bad to put someone worth a damn either in front of or behind this guy? Not in free agency. I mean, right now, the only guy that's out there that kind of somewhat intriguing is a guy like Adam Duvall, who, you know, last year had wrist surgery, but at 38 home runs the year before, you know, um, splitting time with with the Braves as well. So, yeah, he's a guy that maybe you can get in, slide into this outfield somewhere with some pop because you need some home run power. But right now, it's like I envisioned whether it was Story behind him or whether it was Turner behind him because you got to have somebody in between he and Cassis. So uh, I don't know. I don't know where they go. I think maybe you try to beef it up and, and try to find another starter. But I do know this. I, I don't think Bloom like panics and makes a trade that he's not comfortable with or wasn't going to do to try to short-term fix this club. Like if, if this was a team that was one of the best teams in the American League at the deadline and you lost to Trevor Story for the rest of the year, then maybe you're a little more desperate to make a trade because you believe it has a chance to win a World Series. This team here, I, I don't think you go out of your comfort zone to try to find a quick fix and trade somebody you're really uncomfortable with. Well, because I would assume that a quick fix would only just be a Band-Aid anyways, right? And he couldn't get you to be in a competitive position anyways. Right, and there's some guys, like there's a shortstop out in San Diego, Kim, that a lot of people like, and I like him. He's a good defensive shortstop. He can help you win, but it's like, well, now the Padres, you know, their asking price just went up because you're desperate. Well, yeah. if that's the case, then go screw. You know what I mean? I'm not playing this game. You know, I like the kid. I don't love him. You know what I mean? Like, he's a good fit between, you know, this team and Meyer in the future, but it's like, I'm not going to be held over a barrel because I think, because of this team, you know what I mean? I just, there's too many question marks. So if you were, I don't know where you were at after, so I say the, the the happy time for the Red Sox after Bogart signed was when Devers signed, right? And I'm not sure where you were as far as like what you think they were capable of doing at that point in time. Where are you at now with the news that story is basically out for the year? Um, I, I just think there's too many ifs, too many things have to go well. Like you need you between like Kluber and sale, you need them to be healthy, you know, or one of them to give you a, a, a two of them to give you a combined 150, 180 innings. Um, you need Bayo to take a next step, Whitlock to be, you know, a great starter. I, I just, I worry about the innings. I worry about the games played. Uh, there's just a lot of concerns, you know, and I think you got to bring in a couple of bodies, and it's going to be up to core to kind of platoon these guys and find the right matchups. But if your bullpen throws the ball the way they're capable of, you might be able to win a lot more games than people think just by doing that. And I would say just look at Baltimore Orioles last year. Their rotation wasn't good at all. Uh, their lineup was okay. They had a couple good hitters, but their bullpen was lights out. They got a lead, and after the sixth inning, the game was over. That's how you're going to have to win. So this is what feels like, Lou, a little bit of what you're saying is in figuring out how to win, they might have to do it a little differently, meaning that maybe you can't find the perfect shortstop, but if you can manage the position a little bit and trust Alex Cora, if you can invest some money in other parts of the team, like say, and and again, maybe I'm just speaking for you and I'm completely wrong, but the whole, hey, if we add another starter – Let's at least make the starting pitching better. So that way, if we got to manage it, we can live with scoring four runs a game and maybe have a chance. Is that the way that Bloom maybe has got to pivot here a little bit and attack it differently than what he might have thought of before all this went down? Yeah, yeah, you absolutely have to. I mean, for the, I mean, even with the teams that have struggled the last few years, you sat there and said they're still like a top five offense in, in the American League. And some years they've been one or two. Like, that's not going to be the case. That's just not. So now it's like, how do I, how, how do I play defense? You know, there's no more banning a shift. Where can I find the, you know, where can I find the advantage? 
You know, can I go out and get a defensive shortstop that might hit 230, 240, whatever? I, I, I understand that. It's not good. I'm not going to find an all-star right now. So find someone to take some hits away. Let's improve our defense. Let's improve our, our starting. You know, that'll help our starting pitching. And then if we have some lockdown bullpen arms, all right, then we try to win, win games that way. So I just think, like, that's kind of where you have to look at it. And you have to start looking at some of these platoon guys, a lefty and a righty, to try to build one good player. Lou, it's icky to ask this question, but do you consider looking at Trevor Bauer? (laughs) I have been doing research on this guy in the past, right? And... I, I, listen, I know it's very polarizing. Yes. The answer is yes. You look into it, okay? And maybe Justin Turner might look at you and say no. And you say, okay, the, as far as me looking into it, ends right there, right? A former teammate of his is like, no, he's not worth it. Fine. Okay. You know, and then that's it. But I, I don't know how you don't. I really don't. Like, I don't know how you don't. I know a lot of people are very polarized, and, and they hate this guy. And I looked at it, and I'm like, God, he got involved with an absolute freak, you know what I mean? And some girl that wanted him to, I don't know, choke him out. Like, I, I don't understand some, you know, whatever, right? And I, I just think you have to look at it. I think you have to, whether it's talking to him, whether it's talking to her, whether it's looking in the investigation, whether it's talking to former teammates, there's plenty of them here that have been with the Dodgers. But I think you look into it. And very quickly, you might find out that I'm not interested at all. Yeah. So the last one for me, though, uh, Lou, is uh, what does it say about this organization, this Red Sox organization, that the main guy, the main owner that everybody wants to hear from on a uh, on a great day like this, that John Henry is not there. Yeah, everybody's that, there but John. Yeah, and this is, I think, is is one of the issues that John has. I think in this city, that number one, I think he is very uncomfortable in front of a microphone. I don't think he likes talking. I think sometimes he feels like he gets himself in trouble in the past or whatever. So he just stays away, and I think he feels that's the right approach. And I think it's not taken that way. I think people get frustrated by that. I get frustrated by that. You want to hear more from your owners. Just not every single week, you know, not every single month, but at least a couple times a year. You know, you want to hear what he feels about what's going on right now. And I just feel like it's it's a decision that he has made because he's just not comfortable with it. Uh, so you are headed to fantasy camp, correct? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, I baby, did you get your arm warmed up and ready to go? You okay? You're not going to, uh, you, I mean, you're not going to Trevor Story yourself, are I, you? I, I might. I might. I, I'm worried about a lot of things. I'm worried about hips, legs, ankles, arms, shoulders, a lot of things. we got a game to play on Saturday, I'm being told. So i gotta, I got to get ready to play in that thing. So Wait, so you're actually going to play? I thought you were just going to coach it. So you're actually playing alongside a bunch of other like wannabe baseball players like, you know, like me, okay, yeah. who want to get a shot yeah. but can't. So, but you're actually playing alongside these guys. Well, it's it's camp for them all week long. And I think on Saturday we play them. Oh, you play the guys that are at camp oh. looking to play against some former professional yeah. so, players. Okay. As far as That's I know, it it's like, uh, I don't even know the roster. I think Folky is there, uh, Trot, Dauber, Billy Miller. So we're going to have some fun. I think the oh can. My God. I, think, I think oil cans in the house. You got, well, of course, is what else he got going on. But you got some hitters there, Lou, and guys that, uh, you know, everybody is uh, pretty familiar with. We got to get an update on what on what, you're, uh, <laughs> your, what, you're, what, what you actually end up doing. Like, can you get a hit? When was the last time you actually hit a baseball that wasn't like, you know, sixth grade baseball coaching technique? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I'm a little bit um no, it's it's okay. It's not like Buckley's game where I'm facing like, you know, Steve Buckley has his games old timer game. Yeah. I'm facing some twenty year old that's just coming off of the Chatham A's for the <laughs> summer in the Cape League, throwing ninety three, ninety four from the left side with sink. 
You know, that's not what I'm facing down here. I'm facing a nice little 65, 70-mile-an-hour heater. Uh, I can handle that. I got to get invited to this. Really, the question is, though, Lou, will you miss catching a ball and break your glasses? Stop it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, your shit. Your, your pit vipers just yeah. get snapped right in half. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not going to be wearing the glasses, so I'm just really more worried about the eyesight in general. Just overall, <laughs> in general. He does have his readers yeah. <laughs> pull those bad boys well, out. Well, I was going to say... Uh, do you ever? Uh, do you, so you're okay. You think the body will hold up? Like you're not going to have a pulling something? Like no, no. You know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, Lou's got back issues or I something. I think I'll be or, sore. There's no question. You'll be about sore. It. Yeah, and Sunday I'm waking up a little concerned. No need to stretch hey. a single to a double. That's what I would say. Once you're over fifty, it's yeah. hey, as long as I don't crap myself and I can walk, I'm okay. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those deals. Hey, have fun down there, uh, Lou. We appreciate it and always appreciate the breakdown, brother. Thank you. Great all stuff. Right. You got right, Lou. Buddy. Thanks. There goes our buddy Lou Merloni, who uh, of course will be uh, doing some Red Sox this year, to say, say the least. Foyer apparently has got to go the through because he just got up and trotted out of here. Like there could be a real situation going on. I'm sorry to be laughing because if you saw our tweet this morning, uh, how Christian plugged the show, you can get, you can find it uh, at the Real Gresh on Twitter. G R E S H. All right, unplugged the show. Uh, I mean, now you know. I don't know. We we could have uh, we could have left it up to. Uh, the imagination there, Turk, but nevertheless. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, more Gresh and Fourier on WEEI and streaming on WEEI.com. Let's, uh, let's boost the spirits here of the oh, yeah? folks all over New England because it's been, oh, my God, two well, hours the- of Red Sox and all the breakdown and all that whatnot. And I know we'll get to the Patriots in a little bit, but why don't we, why don't we give it to people uh, some some stuff to feel good about, right, Foyer? Really? What, what, what would that be? Well, what could you give me right now other than a ham sandwich that I would feel good about? How about the Boston Celtics, who tonight at 7.30 over at TD Garden will be taking on the upstart New Orleans Pelicans. Things have kind of come together for the Pels this year. And uh, they come in with a 25 and 16 record. You know, they're third in the Western Conference. Um, from the injury end, uh, Brandon Ingram is out for the uh, Pelicans. And I know Billy had mentioned it a little bit earlier when we did the lunchtime parlay. Uh, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, the third. Those guys, as what I'm looking at right now, are listed day to day. So we'll see if the word starts to trickle out. Who knows? Maybe it already has just in terms of whether those guys are or aren't going to be in the lineup tonight. But Foyer, mm-hmm. 29-12 and 12 are the Celtics. Mm-hmm. They have hit the official halfway point of the season. They are nine-and-a-half-point favorites tonight against New Orleans. And this begins the second half of the ride, where now I think there's a couple things in play, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Number one. Robert Williams has been playing 
but we know they're trying to manage him. And Joe Mazzulli even mentioned that after the the last managing, game managing that the Celtics but managing the minutes and all that kind of stuff. How do you sort of proceed going forward with making sure that Robert Williams can give you the important minutes at the end of the regular season? Does it even matter to you how the Celtics and Joe Mazzulli Manage Robert Williams the third. Let's start there. Absolutely, yes. He, I think he is the most important piece. Well, obviously, you know, there's the Givens, of course. Okay, but you, when you talk about like X factors, I guess he would be considered an X factor, right? Just he does so much, and I love watching you know him play. And the other day, he made he he blocked a three pointer. I don't know which game it was. The, the the last two nights from like the free throw line. Right, it wasn't this you know cornet thing where he jumps and he just tries to like you know uh, you know uh, you know hide the rim so the guy shooting the three pointer can't see it. That doesn't really work. But he is so he does things that centers just can't do. He's just so athletic. He's just so confident. He's so intimidating. And I think the longer the season goes on, the more production and intimidation you will get you know from him. So with him, I am like. Okay, so he so he politics to get the start. He gets the start. What is it against? Uh, who they just play? Remind Chicago. Me. Uh, Chicago. 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 He politics to start. He starts, but he's like the first guy pulled. I think he. I don't know how many minutes he ends up playing, but he's the first guy pulled. They start him. They get a lead. They pull him. They they start substituting. They played a lot of people in that game against the Bulls. I would always. I wouldn't even hint about putting him into like second gear until May. I wouldn't even do it. There's no need. You can still be the number, get the number one seed with him playing limited, limited minutes, but so, you're going to need massive minutes in the games that matter in the playoffs. This is interesting. So youth, because the first round of the playoffs will probably be like middle to the end of April. So are you of the thought that a first round playoff victory for the Celtics can come without really needing a ton of Robert Williams in, say, round one. Yeah, didn't it happen last year? Like, he, well, didn't, he barely he played, he, and then he didn't play, and then he came back. And they were managing it. And the yeah, injury. but he no, missed but the bunch. See, this is, this is now he's back. They've been able to kind of get him on the court a little bit. And look, I think the key to the championship defense, to kind of co-sign where you were going, the key to the championship defense is having Robert Williams in the middle. Agreed. And this team, so... This is this to me is why the second half is very intriguing because how will the Celtics be able to balance being a higher scoring team which they have been this year but we know that their calling card was on defense so are and I know they're not devoid of defense they haven't given up on the philosophy of defense and we know that that's where Marcus Smart can make his money that's where Robert Williams can make his money but how do you blend that all together? Because early in the year, you didn't have Robert Williams, and there were some times where the Celtics gave up some big numbers, but they put up big numbers. So what is kind of the happy medium between the way they played here in the first half and the way they started to peak last year in the second half and then had Robert Williams as a part of that, even though the coach was Ime Udoka? That, to me, becomes – because if – if this is just going to be a bunch that's going to go out and try to score 125 points every game and outscore you, then I wonder how effective Robert Williams can be in impacting the game. But if you get back a little more towards the style that you played second half in playoffs last year while expecting better offense and being more efficient, I wonder if there is a way to bring back that 
hardcore defensive element to this group, but still be a good scoring team. Well, I'm just, you know, where's that? What is that balance? Is that the question? Where does the balance go? Because I, I think guess. the balance needs to be. Because I look at it this way. I'm just looking at his playoff numbers. Because I know offense to, will always reign supreme in the NBA. I understand it. That's why teams that play defense can make some noise in the playoffs. See the Miami Heat for a bunch of years. So um, he didn't. He missed the first two games of the first series against Brooklyn. He missed the first two games, and he comes back, and they, they obviously they sweep. But he only plays 15 minutes, and then 14 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then when they play against Milwaukee, he plays in the first three games, and then he misses one, two, three, four, right? He misses all the way to the end. He does, and we don't see him again until the start of the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami, and then his minutes go go back to what they normally are, um, you know. But they're but they're so he's still active, and then he really doesn't have a dip. Right, so they managed him. It was up and down. It was a little nerve wracking. You weren't sure you really needed him back. He comes back against against Miami um, after missing some part of that Brooklyn series and then part of that Milwaukee series. He missed the last couple games, the closeout games against Milwaukee. He's so important. So we we're talking. About, I mentioned X Factor. Yep. I really feel like I don't know a lot of people categorize X Factor different ways. Okay, so I, I there's three guys that I think can really be, you know, wow. We, we we really needed extra production from this guy, and he showed up. He's not a starter necessarily. He's not a you know a high volume producer, but man, without his presence and without his production and his just you know stability and consistency, no way we're winning this. Because some of them are givens, right? There's three people that I look at when I go, okay, one of these three guys, if not one, maybe all of them, or maybe two out of the three, need to be intensely part of this playoff run once they get there. It's Malcolm Brogdon, it's Robert Williams, and it's Grant Williams. Out of the three, who's the most important? Because the other day I just talked about Brogdon being that sixth man of the year award, and that to me is extremely important. And then there's Robert Williams and there's Grant Williams. I'm excited as hell for the prospect of Malcolm Brogdon when we start to get into the playoffs. But, man, the presence of Robert Williams made such a difference last year. It's hard for me to think that I wouldn't put Time Lord one, then Brogdon, then down to Grant Williams. Yeah, same with me. I think he is just – the one thing that worries me with him, and I don't know if you've noticed this also, mm-hmm. it's the way he lands after an alley-oop or a dunk or after a block. What are you noticing? I, I, okay, so he'll, he catches it. He, he, I always feel like he's going to hyperextend his knee. He kind of grabs the rim. He he his uh, his momentum is kind of taken him one way, and instead of like landing like you know nice and perfectly square, which it's hard to do, I get, but he always lands on one knee, and I always feel like every time he's out of control and his momentum takes him in an awkward you know way, he lands on one leg, and I always feel like he's gonna hyperextend his knee. Listen, I hope it doesn't happen. But every time he jumps, I feel like, like something bad is going to happen. It, every time he every time he lands. Yeah, there you go. That's what it is. And remember last year, it was, hey, we're managing it. We're managing it. They managed it to get him to the – he had that, like, really the short-term, almost like patchwork surgery to be able to get him to play last year. And then, of course, taking care of in the offseason, and, and here we go. I I hope they can do that. I hope that there is – the ability to keep bringing him along. I almost look at really the rest of the season in two chunks. So you're at game four. You're playing game 42 tonight, all right? So you're at 41 games played. The next 20 are the ones that get you to really that kind of like final quarter of the season. 
So right now, there is the evaluation going on on Time Lord. There's evaluation of others. And this is where Brad Stevens has got to be on the hunt. Brad Stevens has to get, for for one thing, Stevens has to be aware of what is going on with other teams in the East that are going to try to make themselves better as we start to head towards, you know, getting trade talks going in the NBA. But also, there is the, can we play our best basketball in those final 20 games of the regular season? I'll give you 21 to get ready, and then... Can you give me 20 games to where I really feel like going into the playoffs that this team really is a championship contender, which I do believe they are. I know in my heart that they are, but it's the whole you need to see it. And the other big thing that is looming over this basketball team, what's going to happen with the head coaching situation? I know I brought it up yesterday. Can you go into the playoffs with the organizational stance of, Ime Odoka is suspended for a year. Does there have to be some finality to that situation? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, Gresh Foyer, W-E-E-I. On Instagram, Gresh and Foyer. And, of course, listen to us on the Odyssey app. And then the other story that is kind of flying under the radar, quite honestly, is that the Boston Bruins are 32-4-4. Four regulation losses, ladies and gentlemen. Four regulation losses. It's almost unfathomable. Yeah. It really is. It, it We're now entering, and <laughs> I... No, seriously. You're, no, go ahead. We are now entering Patriots of 07 territory with this Bruins team. Now, I know in the NFL, you got to go undefeated to you know knock off the, the the 72 dolphins off the perch and all that kind of stuff but when I think about the Bruins and I look at the year they're having you're never going to have an undefeated season in hockey not a chance but it is it is not out of the realm of possibilities that the Bruins could end up with not only an all hell not just an all-time great Bruins team an all-time great NHL hockey team and to do it in an era of free agency, to do it in an era where there's less physical contact than there's ever been in the game, the ice has opened up more and more. And let's be honest, for as great as the Celtics have been, and this is no demerits to them whatsoever, as great as the Celtics have been, the real true legendary story that is building right now in this city is this Bruins team that is on just an amazing kind of run, and they're pretty much they're at the halfway point as well. And my God, like, can it get any better? How, like, seriously? And I ask this in all seriousness: What can Don Sweeney do to help them while not screwing this up? Minus an injury, which makes it easy, and be like, oh, I need a defenseman. Got to go get somebody. If you're Don Sweeney. For the next however many games, and I can look up the trade deadline, but say it's 20 games away. If you're Don Sweeney, how do you go about evaluating a team that is on such a good run? Do you want to even add anything and touch it and mess it up? Well, I mean, they've been extremely fortunate health-wise. They only got the one injury with DeBrusque with the, the broken leg. With the broken leg. leg, and it looks like he'll is, be out a month or so. Yeah, which is not nothing like uh, season-ending. It's it's really probably, if luck would have it, like the easiest recovery as far as you know non-weight-bearing bone that he can heal from. So I don't know what you do. I, just, I feel like you could basically add whatever you want 
to be honest with you, I mean, you just be proactive just in case, like, you know, you get a, a, you know, a string of bad luck. But overall, what I heard from them uh, after this last uh, West Coast trip is probably what I consider the most important thing is the postseason individual awards, the stupid president's trophy that somehow everybody loves, but yet, you know, it never really means a goddamn thing once the playoffs start. They just don't care. They don't. They just are so hyper focused on the Stanley Cup. That's all that matters. So you know, have the most points, have the most wins. You know, be ahead, have a nice little winning streak. It doesn't matter. And that's me. When you mentioned the the Patriots, that 07 undefeated team, this would be the equivalent. It would easily be the equivalent. Now, I mean, even in baseball, you can say teams that win 115 games, 117 games, and they don't always get home. No, they. Don't. It's like, what's it worth? They end up like it just. They're just really, really good at playing against some really bad teams. That's what that West Coast trip was. Mm-hmm. They're just beating the crap out of everybody. But at least they weren't like you know that whole. There's certain things that stand out to me. One. They're usually beating up on the teams that they should beat up on. And even if they are losing to a team that they should be beating, once the third period comes around, they flip the switch, they go in high gear, and they just remove any doubt that who the better team is. So they don't they don't allow another team to steal one from them. And God forbid it goes into OT, hold on to your hat, you may get lucky. So <coughs> it's almost like the worst thing about this team is there really nothing to, to complain about. Other to like, you know, maybe hold on to see what possibly could go wrong. There's nothing to complain about. Goalies love each other. All the lines are great. Everybody loves their head coach. Uh, I mean, they're winning at home. They're winning on the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing to bitch about. Well, what are you? What can you possibly bitch about? Even the goalies. I mentioned the goalies. They hug at the end of every game. I'll give you something to bitch about. Regardless of who wins. Here, I'll give you one. Where's the extension for pasta? Now that is a little different. Well, I mean, that's, and again, I understand that's, that's that. Coming. But at the, with the rate this guy is going right now, and he's already at thirty goals, this is a dude who is going to have an amazing heading into free agency season. We see it all the time in baseball. Guys have that kind of career year. See Jacoby Ellsbury heading into postseason or heading into free agency, and. Pasta, I think it's not the, oh, he's peaking because he wants the money. It's the he's peaking because he's he's got good players around him and he's got people around him that he knows that uh, this guy can play with. By the way, the head coaches for the 2023 NHL All-Star Weekend. This is interesting. Uh Uh-oh. We have Peter DeBoer of the uh, Central, Rod Brindamore of the Metropolitan. These are divisions, by the way. And then... Bruce Cassidy in the Pacific and Jim Montgomery in the Atlantic. Now, I know it's the whole division leaders and da-da-da and all that, but how, I mean, quite the irony that both the guy the Bruins hired Mm -hmm. and the guy the Bruins fired are both going to be two of the four coaches at the All-Star game. I think it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's not awkward, is it? Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Nothing. You know what? I don't think so because the to me the person that would make it awkward would one be, one would be Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. Now that would be something. Let those two guys put the skates on and uh, put like them a in a shootout game. or something. Right? <laughs> that would be awesome. There you go. Yeah. How do you dress that uh, All Star game up? Um, you really don't. At least it's better than the NFL. All-Star well, game, again, they well they also did like one period or two divisions against each other and the second period of the other divisions against each other and then the other ones are in the okay fine you know the look they got to dress it up they got to do it right what you know there is no way to execute an all-star game that makes people happy no 
It's so fine. it's a, it is what it is. It's a futile exercise yeah. when it's all said and done. And uh, somebody said you can complain about the amount of turnovers in the neutral zone. Stop giving up the first period. Okay. Those are those are two that are jumping in there. Play a hundred percent every single period. Never give up a goal and always beat everybody ten to. Well, nothing. we know that. We know that that isn't going to happen. There are things, and again, that is Jim Montgomery's job. And and to tie it together for both coaches here quickly. They both have to figure out in the second half not only how to keep their teams motivated, but both Joe Mazzulla and Jim Montgomery have to figure out how to improve their teams and then get them ready to be peaking at the right time. This isn't the, boy, we hope to make the playoffs Uh, and have a good run. That is the charge for both Joe Mazzulla and Jim Montgomery. And maybe they'll both get to talk to Bill Belichick and at least get some advice on figuring that out, even though it's been a couple of years since Bill has been in that position himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to introduce something new to you next. I, at times, can be a bit of a football nerd. Super. And, and when we tap into the mind of Christian <laughs> Fourier, sometimes we don't know where we're going to go. So, this isn't going to be one of those. I have two specific football questions that I need explained by Christian Fourier. And eventually, when we do the five-minute football nerd, you are going to be able to submit questions for us to ask Christian. But I am going to start the five-minute football nerd segment with two burning questions that I have for Fourier next. W-E-E-I, W-E-E-I, New England Sports Original. Now, back to the guys. Gresh and Fourier on W-E-E-I. Ladies and gentlemen, the game of football is a beautiful game. (laughs) However... Some people watch the game of football and maybe don't completely understand what they're seeing. That's why here in the frozen tundra of Brighton, Massachusetts, we turn to Christian Fourier. That's a buildup. So the five-minute football nerd in me wants to ask you two questions. Okay. Okay, number one. Always two, never more, never less. I don't know. If I got, if there's more, there's more. Or if the people right. start sending them in and we have the football nerd, nerd questions. Yeah, because I feel like we should do that, right? If you really want to nerd out, we're not going to give you all 22. Because I, mo- I mock the all 22 crew. Like, there's a whole thing about me with the all 22 crew. We're going to all 29 it. You're right. That's like Jedi, like, next level type stuff. Because <laughs> the concept of throwing for the pass interference when you have nothing else. And let me give you an example. Okay. Every, I don't want to say every time, but a lot of times on third down this year, when the Patriots had either Ramondre Stevenson or Damian Harris on a running back, even if they were well covered, if Mac had nothing else, he would try to force it in there. And they did it with Matt Milano covering Damian Harris. And Mac, right away, when the ball was incomplete, turned and looked at the ref and was like, What are we doing here? And Damian Harris, right away, turned around and went like with the flag yeah. motion. So there is a thought of, well, he tried to throw it to get the the pass interference. Is that a terrible concept? Is it a break glass in case of emergency for a quarterback? Kind of the philosophy of the, well, I got nothing, so let me just throw it at a guy and hope I get a P.I. See, I don't think you, when you break the huddle, you don't sit there and say, okay, like X corner, number 23, that plays the left side, 
is uh, uh, is uh, is really vulnerable to pass interference. Like he he panics, he gets beat quickly, so he panics and he does something stupid. And instead of having it be a touchdown, he'd rather have it have the ball at the spot of the foul. But most quarterbacks do not sit there when the when the when the ball is snapped, saying, "Let me go for a pass interference call." To me, it's usually a okay. Nothing else is available, like you mentioned. I I kind of identify this situation. Let me just throw it where my guy can catch it, but also there can be some uh, you know some 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 contact because it's different than free play. Free play is defense jumps offside. I recognize it. I got a free play. The clock is still ticking. The play is still live, and the and the play isn't going to be dead until the ball hits the ground. Well, screw it. Let's try for a home run ball or pass interference call because now they're panicking. So that's different. But the other thing, just hearing you talk, like this is a partnership. So if I know that the, the quarterback is going to, you know, 50-50 ball that hole, because I think these are kind of married. You know who's the best at this? Ed McCaffrey. If you remember Ed McCaffrey for the Denver Broncos, he was the king at drawing pers- uh, try- drawing uh, pass interference penalties because he flopped all the time. And the refs gave him the benefit of the doubt all the time. And his quarterback, whether it was uh, you know whether it was Elway or whoever it was after him, would throw the ball up to get the foul. Nothing else is open. The corners got you beat. He he cut off your route. Let me throw it up there. Mm-hmm. Let me look. Maybe it's a, it's a, maybe I get a call or maybe you draw a call. But with the idea knowing <clears throat> that you're not going to let him catch it, because I think that's the other aspect of it. Either you catch it or nobody catches it. Got it. Either you draw a penalty and you catch it, or you draw a penalty and you don't catch it, but make sure he doesn't catch so it. So it looks like what some would say to the layperson, it'd be, oh, it's an ugly throw, when in reality, you're trying to draw the penalty and the throw needs to be away from the defender so it doesn't turn into a turnover. That makes a lot of sense. All right, second All thing. Right. Hunter Henry got called for OPI in the yeah. Buffalo game. Because the way I understand it is within five yards of the line of scrimmage, you're allowed to make contact, but sometimes with tight ends, they're bigger than the dudes covering them. So I think it can stand out to an official if you're legally got your hands on the defender, but a guy catches a ball beside you and takes it in for a touchdown. Oh, it's an illegal pick or whatever. So how in the world do you manage creating space without getting the P.I. call because it felt like that one on Henry was, oh, I mean, just horse crap. Okay, but I think you you actually explained it yourself. So I thought that was a terrible call Okay, on its own. Hey, if it was just a one-on-one route, no referee would throw a flag on Hunter Henry, offensive pass interference. Mm-hmm. But since it was a designed, call it quote-unquote, pick play, to get somebody else open and to pick the other the other uh, you know defensive player that was covering the back that that kind of you know squirted out the backside into the flat yep. or into the sideline, it looked dirty. Not dirty. It looked illegal. Hey, you're purposely because even when you look at Hunter Henry's hands, it looked like he was blocking him. It did. It did look like he was blocking him, even though he was just kind of going slowly and running in place. And he can't keep his hands to his side, but he wasn't holding him. And then, and the defensive back was not giving up any ground. So who has the right away? Right. Well, I'm not going to take an edge, so I'm just going to keep running. And it's it's within five yards, so we're both at fault. But since there was a pass that was completed behind me, and the and the and the defensive back who was covering him basically got picked, 
it looks like you're up to no good and you're trying to cheat the system. That's why I think they called that. If that was any other play, they would just, you know, no no harm, no foul. Well, I'd like to think so, but even some of those around the goal line, the initial, like, you know, and, and, and we had talked to Hunter Henry about it once, like, if the guy lays his hands on you, you're allowed to then, especially yes, within absolutely. five yards. But then there's the optics of it. And imagine if Hunter Henry, working against a bigger guy, threw him down. Like it blocked him and then tossed him aside so he could go block next level on a screen or something like that. But even a pass play. It feels play, like that would get a, pass a play. So I used to get nervous when somebody would jam me at the line of scrimmage. I was like, okay, well, this is all fair. You're trying to hold me up. You're trying to let, uh, delay my release. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to slide you to my right. You trip, you fall. It looks like I threw you down. There you go. Okay, so there's there's all these different elements of it, and then the red zone. I felt like everything was fair game. Everything was fair game. I want to, I want to, because we had certain release techniques. One was the, you know, the swim technique, the stuff that you hear about. The other one was the slam release like I would come at you like I was blocking you get you on your heels now you're off balance now I'm taking an edge now I'm setting you and I'm holding you now I'm breaking free I'm going to get to the corner that's how I'm working separation I'm going to like disorientate you like you're not going to know what's going on and and the clock is ticking right now and now you're freaking out now you're panicking now you're holding me because you know I got a free run to the corner which is where all the space is and which where all the opportunity is that's like no man's land for a corner they can't possibly cover it if it's thrown right. I've been waiting to get to that. I think it is a part of the football nerdiness that A, people like, and B, it was tied into at least uh, one or two important plays into that game against Buffalo. Thank you. See? we I can, like the nerd out section. I do like it. We can go into the mind of Christian yeah, Fourier. It's hard to get me back to the normal Fourier, which is the guy that's like farting on videos and running out because there he has to that. go to the bathroom. Oh, well, <laughs> we're going to get back to normal Fourier next because uh, Chris Sims and Mike Florio said something oh. that leads us into the culture of the NFL and some of the things that we have heard that the Patriots and coaches have objected to in the past. We'll get to that. Final hour, Gresham Foyer next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.